all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Radio. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is the original Southern Remedy, where we answer your healthcare questions that you might have about any issue that is near and dear to you. Maybe it's a new symptom of something. Maybe it is a diagnosis that you didn't quite understand, or maybe it was some instructions about uh, medications or potential side effects, this is your chance to get some information from us, from the doctor, uh, and we're going to try to give that to you in the next hour or so. If you would like to contact us this morning, you can call one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can always email us if you're not able to call in. You can send those to remedy at mpbonline.org. And don't forget you can check out previous programs that are archived there on mpbonline.org, or you can download our podcast. That's right. If you just search for MPB Southern Remedy, you can get that and uh, download that and stay up to date on all the things in the most convenient way. So, I'm actually at the beach this week. Uh, took a little time away with my family and uh, broadcasting from uh, from the beach. And uh, they had a little bit of overcast weather on most of the days, but uh, still got a lot of uh, opportunity to go out and enjoy things. So I'd encourage you to do that. Do it in a safe kind of way, particularly if you're vaccinated. You should be able to, um, you know, to uh, go about your business as usual before that. Uh, Certainly would want to take precautions if you're not or if you're in a special situation where you have reduced immunity. Maybe that's, um, you know, a lot of people think, well, actually, after I get vaccinated, I don't have to worry about anything. If you're being treated for cancer, for instance, or if you've been treating for an autoimmune disease, make sure you check with your physician because although you may have some potential, you know, partial uh, protection from the vaccination for COVID, you definitely would want to take some precautions um, because even if you're vaccinated, if your immune system is not working as effectively as it should, you could have some problems and have a decreased immune response. So keep that in mind. Of course, lots of other things to, uh, you know, safety related that we usually uh, would want to talk about. Since I'm at the beach, there's a lot of things there. Certainly the, the biggest thing uh, like a day that we're having today is you want to make sure that you, if you go out, that you protect yourself against the sun and all the elements. Remember that even on cloudy days, you can get sunburned and have uh, skin damage from that. And also that if you get in the water, certainly there's lots of things to pay attention to, uh, like uh, strong currents or rip currents especially. So those are things that definitely, um, definitely can affect you. So 
this is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Leonard, who I believe is from Tennessee. Good morning, Leonard. Oh, are you there, Leonard? I think we're trying to find Leonard. Oh, we dropped Leonard. Leonard, if you're still listening, please call back. Uh, the number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Would encourage people to call in the first part of the hour. That way, we can get your uh, question in. A lot of times, we have a lot of people call in the last half of the hour, and particularly the last fifteen minutes. It's just a little bit harder to get all those in in time before we have to leave uh, the airwaves. So, um, and, and do keep in mind if you are cut off for whatever reason, sometimes you know that just happens that we drop calls, uh, call right back because uh, good chance we can get you back in on the list and uh, pull things up. So uh, that number again is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 All right, so we're still trying. We, we thought we had Leonard back, but not, uh, not quite yet. Uh, you know, a lot of the websites that we um, that we put up have some great information. You've heard us refer to the Mississippi State Department of Health website, which is msdh.ms.gov. That's G-O-V. And that's particular things that are of interest in the state of Mississippi. There was one that was released, a uh, health uh, general health bulletin release about salmonella and its risk with backyard animals, particularly chickens. So uh, any kind of bird has an, a little bit increased risk of carrying salmonella so that you can get infected, and the bird can be completely healthy. Uh, so if you've got some backyard animals like myself, I have some chickens, uh, you want to be careful. Wash your hands uh, after you handle them, both the chickens and the eggs uh, that they produce. Get those eggs daily. Um, so um, so that you can, uh, you know, the longer they sit in the in the uh, nesting area, the more chances they are to uh, to uh, get contaminated with things like salmonella. And then also, um, you may want to, uh, you know, what you go in and out of the coop with, you may want to just have that in a little bit separate area. All right, we're going to try Leonard here. Last chance. Hopefully, he's on there. Good morning, Leonard. Good morning. Sorry, I kept getting cut off. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. Sometimes that happens. I appreciate your persistence on that. What's your question this morning? Well, you know, I um, I went through that lung cancer screening that they were offering up in North yeah. Mississippi, and uh, they found like a two-millimeter spot, and he said he was going to refer me to uh, somebody else to look at, I guess, biopsy. I don't know what, but I haven't heard gotten an appointment yet. I had active TB like 35 years ago. Yeah, and and there, you know, that's a great, you know, what it, what Leonard is referring to. For those of you who aren't aware, there is a um, a great screening tool now to try to pick up on early lung cancers a lot earlier than the way we used to do it. You know, a chest X-ray just isn't specific enough unless it's a very large lung cancer um, that's developed. And we know that the longer we wait and the bigger it is, the more chance it's spread to other places and the less chance it is of, of cure uh, or at least, uh, you know, giving you giving you a chance to beat it. So um, the, yeah. the thing to do, the thing that they do is a, a low-dose CT scan. Right. So it's a CT right. scan of the lungs. 
Uh, now, there's different criteria once they, if they do see something that, uh, that they can refer you probably to a pulmonologist to look at that. And then the biopsy would be if it does look suspicious. Now, Leonard, it, since you had active TB in the past, it's, it's totally um, you know, plausible that that might be a scarred area of your lung from TB. Um, that, that's yeah. very common. And it's also that's common for I people who haven't had TB in the South. I'm sorry, oh, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, I told them that, but the, I remember my x-rays from 35 years ago. It was a big, like the size of a quarter scar. And this, they said, is two millimeters. And they said it's, you know, on the other side of the lung, the back side, the scars on the front side, something like that. Yeah, and, and but I, if they are, at, you know, if they're advising you to have it checked out, I wouldn't just sort of, you know, push it aside and say, well, it's probably just something else. I probably would, you know, at least get them to look at it. They may not have to do the biopsy, and you can have that that uh, discussion with them at that point. But right. they can look really the same. And even in people who don't have TB, we have something called histoplasmosis, uh, which is a, a fungal uh, element in the air. and that sort of Exactly, yeah, in the Ohio River Valley and down in the south, that's very common. Um, so, you know, that's, that may be it too, but I, I still would, you know, particularly if, you know, you probably got that because you were a previous smoker and had a certain amount of smoking that you had. So right. again, it's very useful. Um, the biopsy, it sounds, you know, it sounds scary to a lot of people, but it's, it's relatively safe to do depending on sometimes they can get to it, uh, on a bronchoscopy so that they don't have to do it through the skin itself. Right. So I, I would talk to a pulmonary doctor first before I, you know, and if you haven't heard anything, call them back, you know, because things I'll happen them, just like that. I'll call my GP back yeah. and tell them, yeah. you know, <clears throat> you, you said you were going to refer me to somebody. Yeah, that's exactly what you should do because, you know, sometimes things happen. And I tell mm -hmm. my patients, look, if you don't hear from somebody after a certain amount of time, call uh -huh. us back because we can bird dog that, you know, with our office. I think that's an excellent plan. Yeah, you got to be your own best advocate, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, definitely. All right, well, thank right. you. Uh, yes, sir, and uh, you take care, and uh, good luck to you on that. We're going to go to Charles in Philadelphia. Good morning, Charles. Thanks for calling this morning. Um, uh, thank you. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I'm scheduled to have a bladder uh, scan and I was wondering how much radiation is involved in that. I was in the military and got exposed to a lot of radiation, and I know that it never, you know, it stays, and the more you have, the more it builds up. Is there any danger of that causing cancer? Just by having yeah, it's, it, it's not a whole lot. Um, so, you know, it's it, um, the type of radiation is important. So what you get from different types of radiation and the total exposure is important, like you mentioned. The, the radioactive substances that they give for some of the, and usually those are contrasted studies, so that's something that either an X-ray can pick up or that a CT scan or a PET scan can pick up or a combination of those. Uh, MRIs, same kind of thing. So it's very, very, very small amounts. One time on having that scan, or even if they need to do multiple scans, maybe six months to a year, usually very little risk with that. 
Now, they did used to give much higher doses. The reason we don't anymore, thankfully, is because of those scans that have an increased sensitivity to pick up that. So a PET scan now can pick up really low amounts of radioactive things. Um, and basically, those are tagged things that are going to you know, look at it. But a bladder scan shouldn't be a big deal as far as a radiation risk um, and certainly not anything near uh, you know, what you, what you'd been exposed, potentially exposed to in the past. Well, let me ask you another question while, uh, I got you, uh, I had to have a bone scan uh, a couple of years ago and, uh, what about the radiation in that? I, I, di- I didn't have arthritis before then, but I've, I've got a good bit of arthritis since then. Do that, you think that had anything to do with it? Uh, probably not with the arthritis. Um, that's probably something that just, you know, was associated along the same timeline. <laughs> yeah. And, well, you know, that's what happens. I mean, the older we get, the more we have wear and tear in those joints. They don't last forever. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's probably not. But, again, it's a very, very low dose. And if anything, you know, if it was a much higher dose, you shouldn't have a lot of, you know, pain in your joints from something like that. It would be some other symptoms. Radiation exposures, there's acute and chronic. The chronic ones are the ones that lead to things like cancers. The acute ones uh, usually affect cells that turn over quickly. And if you've ever known anybody or, or, or if you've had it yourself, radiation therapy, um, you know, that's a useful modality to try to treat some tumors. But it has a lot of side effects. Um, and uh, usually those are on cells that have high turnovers like your skin, your hair. That's why people sometimes lose their hair, uh, or they'll have um, GI side effects because those cells turn over rapidly. But in the, in the doses that you're going to get with something like a bone scan, a CT scan, um, that's usually not anything that you have to worry about. Now, it is a little bit different in kids because it's a, it's a little bit higher risk in kids that have multiple ones. It's also a reason why we're a little bit more careful in getting a CT scan in a child. If they don't really need it, then we don't give it just because of that of that cumulative effect. We don't know what they're going to require over their lifetime. Right, and it, and like I said, it it stays in your body and it accumulates over time. Yeah, well, some I- of them do, and some of them some of them are excreted out. Like you mentioned, the bladder scan that's going to be out of your your body really quickly. Some other uh, radioactive isotopes, um, they get uh, incorporated into your bone and that kind of thing, and those are the most dangerous ones. We don't really give those for these types of scans, though, because, again, they've been designed to get in there, get to the target, you know, of what you're looking for, uh, and then wash out really quickly. So um, a lot of them don't accumulate in those kinds of ways. And, again, if you're not getting it over and over and over again, it doesn't have the opportunity to accumulate. Would uh, taking vitamins before you have it done have any effect on it? Would it make it less uh, less harm done? Not really. Um, Now, some types of scans are going to give you some specific instructions about hydration before, about what to eat and drink. That can affect some of that, so I'd pay attention to those. But as far as vitamins go, it's not really going to, you know, protect you against some of the harmful effects or anything like that. Okay. All right, you, I feel better about it. Thanks a lot. All right, you take care and have a good day. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions and taking comments about any kind of health care issue that you would like to bring up. The number to call this morning is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. I got some great questions already. I want to encourage you to call in with yours. Don't have to be about what somebody else is asking about. It can be something totally different. A uh, couple, of, couple of good questions about screening tests. Um, you know, those are important. A lot of people will misunderstand those about why we do them. Uh, you know, they're not arbitrary. A lot of times, a lot of trials have been done to try to figure out what the cost effectiveness of those are, what types of cancers are best determined by uh, certain types of scans or tests uh, to try to prevent them uh, and catch them at an early point standpoint. It's important to remember that, you know, a lot of people would say, well, why don't we just do whole body CTs or whole body MRIs or PET scans? Wouldn't that pick up on things? Well, you'd have to do them more than once. Uh, they don't they don't pick up on everything. And really, there's the cost benefit of that and the risk that are involved with some of those really aren't, um, you know, it really doesn't justify doing those. So you can do more harm than good sometimes with those but there are schedules for that based on your age and your particular risk. So if you are at risk for, for instance, as we mentioned earlier, lung cancer, uh, there's a certain amount of what we call pack year history. So that's basically how many packs a day for how many years uh, have you smoked. So if you, you know, if you smoke for 20 years but smoked a half a pack a day, that'd be a 10-pack year history. And um, it's important for the amount of time if you quit smoking, too, uh, your risk certainly goes down a little bit over time, um, and certainly there's lots of benefits from quitting, but uh, all of that sort of goes into factoring that. And the same kind of thing can be for breast cancer or for colon cancer. Um, there are surveillance techniques to make sure that they catch things early enough so that you don't have widespread uh, widespread uh, uh, metastases, that basically that cancer going somewhere else. So Keep that in mind. Uh, that's our job. That's one of the things I like to do is to try to prevent things from happening. Certainly, you can go one step further than that and, you know, maybe change some things about the way you're living. For instance, you know, what you eat and exercise certainly are important. If you are exposed to certain things, as our second caller mentioned, you know, there may be some exposures at your workplace. So they should be taking uh, great care to try to minimize those risks. 
um, if it's uh, whatever those risks might be and what you're working with. But uh, around the house, too, there's lots of, uh, you know, pay attention to those warning labels. If it says use gloves, use gloves. If it says, uh, you know, uh, have a well-ventilated area for painting or for mixing some uh, caustic substances, make sure you do that because particularly over time, if you do that a lot, you can cause a lot of damage. So uh, just keep those, those things in mind. I know it's a hassle sometimes to do that, to wear gloves uh, or do those other safety uh, precautions, but uh, it's, it's, just remember, you're trying to prevent some things from happening so that you can enjoy doing the things that you normally do. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 You know, other things, if you are traveling, uh, make sure that you prepare. Uh, it's nice to have a little kit. We sort of take a little first aid kit with us around so that we can, um, so that we can, uh, be, uh, prepared if there's anything that happens, whether that's band-aids or, uh, antiseptics, um, Benadryl is a good one to uh, keep in there too. Make sure it's up to date, particularly if it's the liquid Benadryl, all those things are, can be ways that you can prepare, uh, for whatever things might be, uh, go anyway, cause there's nothing worse to have to interrupt a vacation and, uh, and have to go into a clinic or to an ER. Sometimes you have to do that, uh, but you want to be as prepared as possible to try to deal with that. Let's go to Diane. Good morning, Diane. Thank you for calling this morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. I'm trying to find out, would you be able to give me any pointers on how to build my immune system up? Yeah, sure. That's a great question. A lot of people ask that, and they're usually asking in the context of anything that they can take or anything that they can do to try to improve their overall immune system. So there's a lot of studies that have looked at this. They've looked at different vitamins you can take, different, uh, different uh, uh, food substances that you can eat, different, um, uh, you know, what a lot of people would call natural substances that you can take to do that. There, unfortunately, there's not really anything that one thing that you can take or multiple things that you can take that will that have been shown to improve your immune response. There have been studies that looked at what causes your immune response to not work adequately, and they are uh, habitual decreased sleep. Um, that can put you in a stressful situation where you might get more uh, infections might be more susceptible to infections, so sleep is important. Regular exercise uh, is thought to uh, increase your immune response. And then, of course, trying to limit the types of foods that you eat that would be uh, not quite as good for you. So that's usually saturated fat, processed foods, uh, good foods to eat, um, things like plenty of vegetables and fruits, um, fat sources from uh, oils from uh, from uh, uh, nuts and uh, olive oil, all those things can help. But uh, as far as like taking something like vitamin C, a lot of people will say, well, I take my vitamin C, I never get a cold. Well, in looking at those studies, and you really have to look at it this way, basically you put a number of people on vitamin C and a second group that are on a pill that's not vitamin C but looks just like it, and you study them during flu season and see who gets the most infections, and they really don't find any significant difference between those two. Same thing with a lot of the other things that you can take. Probably not going to hurt you to take vitamin C um, if you want to, but it's you know as far as what's been looked at in the literature, that's fine. So that's you know that's usually the way that I go about it is 
it's not going to hurt you, that's fine to take it, but there's not really much evidence that it's going to help you as far as the immune response. So I would say simple things, eat healthy, exercise frequently, get plenty of sleep. If you've got stressors in your life, try to deal with them uh, in as best you can in different ways. And that's going to impact your immune system much more than taking anything else. Okay. Well, thank you so very much, and you have a great day. All right. You too. Uh, okay. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. It is amazing to me the different ways that our bodies are impacted by different things. And, you know, a lot of people have studied the blue zones. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but the blue zones are areas around the world where people live the longest and they live the healthiest. So they don't have a lot of diseases like we have, a lot of chronic diseases like diabetes or uh, chronic uh, heart diseases or stroke. And they live well up into their 90s and beyond. They're usually very active uh, as older people. And um, they've looked at the, the particulars about this all the way down to like how they live, not just what they eat or what they do for physical activity, but how they live, like the social systems and support that they have. And these are areas like um, there's a Greek island called Icaria. There is uh, Okinawa, an island uh, just south of the main islands of Japan, uh, and several other places around the world where they have these populations of people. And some of the commonalities are they have very healthy diets that are usually plant-based. Um, they, if they drink alcohol, they do it in moderation. It tends to be um, uh, some type of alcohol. It doesn't seem to matter that much from one group to the other. They usually eat local things. They have very strong support systems. If they, uh, if you do get up into your 90s, usually you're not going to be in a different place. You're going to be living with your family, uh, and they stay active. They have really activity levels that are much, much higher than most people have in industrialized societies. They walk a lot. They enjoy doing what they're doing, and they have a lot of moderation to what they do. I think a lot of times we can get fixated on one or two things to do, even to the point of where it's a drudgery that you're trying to do that to increase your health. And, uh, you know, you may want to try to align those things so that the things that you like to do are benefiting you from a health standpoint. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Ribbon on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy Stewart with you this morning, answering your questions, taking your calls about any kind of health care issue that you might have. The number to call is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. We're going to go to Dean, who is in Alabama. Good morning, Dean. 
Uh, yes, I had a question about, uh, I have had a cough that's pretty bad for about two years. And um, I went to the doctor, and uh, he told me that it was, uh, he was an ENT, and he said, this is a sinus problem is what it is. This coughing is from your sinuses. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know. It's, uh, it's a pretty bad cough. It seems worse uh, maybe 30 minutes after I eat or something. Yeah, and, you know, chronic, chronic cough can be from a number of things. So uh, one thing to keep in mind is that as you diagnose chronic cough, because it can be caused from a problem in your lungs, it can be caused from what you described as you know, sinus drains down the back of your throat, uh, particularly at night, that can be a problem. It can be caused by reflux or asthma or COPD, or it can be caused by uh, a foreign body that's growing inside your airway. So there's lots of different causes of that. Um, it can be tricky sometimes to to diagnose that. Now, if I see somebody in the office and they say, hey, I've had a chronic cough for two years, I'm going to think, okay, well, that's probably not infectious because it's not gone on, you know, an infectious agent like a bacteria or a virus pretty much runs its course in a couple of weeks and then it's gone. So if it's, cons- if it's persistent, you know, more than that amount of time, then I might think, okay, well, that's, that may not be it. But the other thing to, to think about is to just treat it, what you think is going on. So if you saw the ENT and they had reason to believe that it might be from your sinuses, they probably looked in the back of your throat. They saw some evidence of that because the sinuses drain from above, from the nasal passages. And uh, we, there's something called cobblestoning on the back side of your throat that you can see. Usually, you treat that. You can treat it in a couple of different ways. Antihistamines, nasal steroids, those are a couple of different ways to do that. Maybe some medications like Singulair. If it doesn't work, then you go to the next step. Um, so if you've tried that, I would you know, either go back to the ENT or a, a lung specialist, a pulmonologist might be somebody else to go to. And they may want to do some things like test you for asthma. There's a great uh, way to test for that. Um, uh, to really sort of pull out what the, the reason for the chronic cough is. But, um, yeah, if, if you've been treated appropriately for sinus drainage uh, that's causing the chronic cough, then I wouldn't, you know, I would probably go back to them or see somebody else and say, hey, that's not working for me, and then they're going to go to the next thing. And it's not really a failure necessarily. It's basically you've tried that, you want to go on to the next step of what it might be. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. You take care. All right. We're going to go to Drexel from Byram. Good morning, Drexel. Hey, Doc. How are you doing this morning? Good. What's your question this morning? Listen, uh, I, I've been experiencing uh, over the last, say, I'd say three, four weeks, I've been experiencing, like, um, uh, in my digestive tract, I've been experiencing, like, some, some nodding up, like, Sometimes I feel like I can't can't get breath up through there um, just for a brief uh, a half of a second, and then it goes away. And then I'm I, like, if I do a task, something that takes less than five minutes to do, and then I'll have this this light perspiration on my forehead, and 
and I, I had had some x-rays done because I was concerned about lung cancer and all that stuff. I had x-rays done, and they, they came back clean. They said nothing was wrong, nothing was appearing in my lung x-rays or anything. And I had, um, you know, uh, still experiencing this stuff. So I wonder if you could give me some kind of advice on what that might be so I can direct them, my physicians, because I am a veteran. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, that kind of sensation, and I'm gathering that that's in the lower part of your chest. Is that where you're experiencing it? Yeah, yeah. in the center lower mass of the chest there. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, and, and the way I think about this is, you know, what kind of – we tell, tell medical students, think anatomically. In other words, what's there? What organs are there in that region that the patient is experiencing those symptoms? And then physiologically, which would be how do things work in that area. So there's, a, there's a, you know, a number of things there. Certainly the GI tract is there. There's portions of the respiratory uh, tract and then also your heart. So if, again, if you are getting treated appropriately for one condition and it's not working, then I would switch gears and say, okay, you know, I've had a chest x-ray. I don't think it's the lungs. Then I'm going to go to the next thing. And, uh, you know, as, as how old are you, Drexel? Uh, 64. 64. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, with that type of pain, even though it's not classic for something like heart-related pain, that may be another arena that they want to do. You know, we also say you want to make sure that you rule out or cross things off the list that are going to do you the most damage. So if you do have a heart problem, you want to take care of that because if you don't and, you you know, we're not treating it effectively, then you could have a heart attack or other problems. So um, so that's, you know, that's the way I would stepwise go about that. Um, but I, I would call them back and say, hey, look, I, this is not working. I know you've looked at it from a chest X-ray standpoint, but, you know, uh, I'm still having the symptoms and I need to, to get it checked out. Because it could be things like esophageal spasm or reflux or, you know, heart, uh, heart pain that's uh, sneaking up on you in a different way. So all those things are something that you could get checked out for. Yes, sir. One quick follow-up on the esophagus uh-huh. uh, spasm. Is is that something that's 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 normal or abnormal in people? Or so so uh, you know the esophagus is is sort of like a tube of muscle that goes from the lower part of your throat all the way down to your stomach, and it, it pushes that food down, and, it, and that's why that muscle layer has to work like that. Sometimes. It gets sort of confused, if you want to think of it like that, and that lower portion in, in particular, the mid portion, just doesn't work right. So it's not a coordinated muscular movement. And when it does that, it spasms. It can feel like food is stuck in your throat or it can take your breath away, and it's usually accompanied with, by pain. And it can last from a couple of seconds to you know minutes or even an hour. There are medications to treat that. The GI doctors can do that, that sometimes they have to do uh, you know, a, a scope where they go down with a lighted tube and they look at the area. They can do little injections in there to treat that. So, um, again, I would probably say there's an easy way to look at that. There's a barium swallow that can show that as you as you swallow uh, this liquid that can uh, tell if you, if that's one of the things that you have. So, um, that's something again that I would I would speak to your physician about just to sort of see, but. Uh, you know, Drexel, one thing, writing these things down can sometimes help so you can know exactly right. what to do. And then also, um, 
you know, give them as many symptoms as possible because you're going to help them get to the bottom of things. Okay, thank you so much, Doctor. I think that's what I got. So I think you diagnosed me over the, over the radio. <laughs> hey, <it's, laughs> uh, Drexel, the more, the more you just hear these things, they just sort of fall in. So sometimes it just takes some time. So I, I hope that's helpful for you. All right, thank you, sir. Have a good day. Yes, sir. Thank you for calling. All right, we're going to go to Barbara from Boonville, Mississippi. Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Um, I was uh, wondering if it would be safe for me to go to church tonight. I hadn't been since uh, the COVID last year, and right. uh, my granddaughter is supposed to sing, and I was, and I don't have to go. I just want to know if it's safe because I've got uh, rheumatoid, and uh, I also got a pacemaker, and I'm on three different kinds of blood pressure medicine. But I've had both vaccines. But I'm, and uh, there's about 300 people goes down there, but uh, they have two services on Sunday. But mm-hmm. uh, there, there's not as many on Wednesday night, but uh, I'm just wondering how safe it would be for me to go. And also, they got they have us appointed seat with our family, and our family sits back there where that air conditioner is returning air. So I just wonder how safe it is for me to go. Yeah. Um, so if you're vaccinated and you and fully vaccinated would be what you described. You know, if it's a two vaccine series, you've had both of those. And it's been two weeks or more from the when you got the last one. Um, you know, following some common sense when you're there, like anything else, uh, you know, paying attention to what you touch, even though we know this virus is, is transmitted much more through the air and breathing. And then you can always wear a mask. Just because you're vaccinated, you can go in there and you can wear a mask. That can be a little bit more protection uh, for you. I, you know, you mentioned the air handling of, of uh, spaces like that. And uh, that's important. So if they have a, an air turnover, that does decrease your risk. So it should be fine sitting where you would normally sit. Um, and uh, I, I think you probably would be at very little risk at this point. Um, if, if people, or if you know people are sick, are you going to be around them? You'd want to uh, limit your exposure to them. But if you're vaccinated, um, then you should, uh, you should be pretty safe. Okay, I was thinking about going in when the service started and leaving when it ended and not staying around and being uh, around nobody trying to shake hands or anything like that. And uh, also, my daughter said something about wearing a, is it 595 mask or, do, or can a person yeah. just wear uh, like a cloth mask? It's got uh, that little other thing you insert in there, you know, to, for double protection. But uh, which which way do you think I should wear the mask? Yeah, the in probably either one would be fine. Now the N95, I think that's what you're referring to. That's one of the ones that we wear in in medical situations. And early on in the epidemic, that was one that, in the pandemic, that that was one that people you know were advised to wear to get the most protection. Basically, what that number is, it's telling you that 95% of the very 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 small particles are being filtered out by that mask. So it's really effective. Now, it is a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit, if you're not used to it, some people are a little bit more uncomfortable with breathing with it. But if you want to wear a mask, that's the one commercially available that would probably be the best one. That being said, a cloth mask is fine, and it's been shown to decrease it, not as much as the N95. Um, but, yeah, it, it, can, it can decrease your risk fine, too. A lot of people will put filters in it, you know, that 
it hadn't really shown to be that much effective. But a cloth mask, I, I can tell you when we were still masked up in, uh, you know, in, with the CDC uh, recommendations, that's what I used outside of a healthcare situation. If I was going to the store or Lowe's or somewhere like that, I would wear a cloth mask and felt just fine. But um, or a surgical mask, you know, surgical masks are not in 95s. Um, that's, that's going to be the one that sort of looks like it's in the medical field, but it's not, not one that fits quite as tightly to your face and has a little bit of different material in it. But I think your strategy is good. Um, I think you can, you've already decreased your risk significantly with the vaccination. Um, and I think the other things that you do have planned, I think that's, that's just fine to, to see them and see the program. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes. That was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Ribbon on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Got lots of good calls. Going to go to our next one. Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Sue, I went right through Beaumont on my way to the beach. Oh, well, you didn't see anything, did you? <laughs> uh, well, from 98, not much. You're right. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you a question about the, these people who who are immune, it seems, to a lot of diseases that other people are, like these, they live long and they live healthy. Could it just be because it's because they're all related by DNA and genetics? I mean, after living together in clusters like that, these healthy clusters of people, could it just be genetic and not just because of what they eat and drink? Yeah, absolutely, and and they do find that they do find that um, you know it, there are some genetic factors in certain groups of people who that help protect them for various things. So it's probably a combination of both. It's that old age old question: Is it you know nature or nurture? Nature being the DNA and some of the things that that you're sort of pre-programmed for, and you see this everywhere, right? I mean, there's certain people that can eat. 2,000 calories a day, and they they don't gain any weight, and other people eat the same amount, and they gain weight. So we're all a little bit different like that. But some of these communities, particularly if they haven't changed over time very much, uh, there are probably some protective factors. The most, um, you know, one of the, the, the best indicators of that is in looking at the genetics behind cholesterol uh, metabolism, and there are certain groups of people, and they, they tend to be in these little islands, these little places around the world that have certain protective things in their DNA and their, their lipids are very, very low. The bad lipids, the good lipids are really high. And a lot of that's genetic. 
On that point, could I ask you a question? Yeah. Uh, why do you suppose the human body turns on itself with these autoimmune diseases, you know, like lupus and psoriasis and stuff? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many autoimmune diseases. Why, why does your body turn on itself and, and yeah. start? Why does it do that? Yeah, so the thought is a couple of different things. So our immune system is designed to recognize things that are foreign to it, like viruses, bacteria, and kill them. And it also is designed to scan the body for cancerous cells, so cells that have gone rogue, and they take those out. There's natural killer cells that do that. There's entire pathways that do that. So uh, autoimmune disease is usually thought to be when the body fights off something, it recognizes it as foreign, and then it mistakes it for something in your own body that's similar to that, and then it starts fighting it. So it's, it's a fine balance in the immune system. And if you think about people who have transplants, like a liver or heart transplant, they have to have immunosuppressives so that they don't reject that. They don't fight that off. So you're trying to sort of trick the immune system, but there's always that fine balance between autoimmunity and appropriately fighting off those things. It's amazing to me, Sue, that the body doesn't have, that we don't have more problems than we do. Autoimmune diseases are a big part of that and cancers too, of course. But it's, it's sort of on that seesaw balance between those two. Okay, but thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. I believe we got uh, time for Cat in Mobile. Also drove through there on the way down. Good morning, Cat. Yes, sir. Good morning. Um, I have a quick question. So, I don't have uh, the clearest understanding about the uh, vaccination for COVID nineteen. So, I, my question is: Can vaccinated people still contract COVID nineteen? And if so, can they also be asymptomatic and still? transmit the virus um yeah, and then i might have question. another question after yeah Re- real quick the the reasons behind that so basically once you get vaccinated your body is doing two things it's using a t-cell response and uh, uh antibodies to help find uh these these viral particles when it uh is when you're exposed to covid and to fight those off and kill them before they can sort of take hold in your body so uh when you talk about infectious as a, as a term, it means that you've contracted that and it's going to sort of run its course. So for, for most people, the, the vast majority of people who have received vaccination, they're not going to transmit that to anybody else. They, they may have a few viral particles that are there, but they're getting killed by your body's immune system and you're not going to have all those other, other symptoms. But you could, in a very small amount of people, and we're talking about less than 5%, you could either get COVID or if you do get COVID, you have less symptoms and you could, of course, transmit it to somebody else. We do know that even in you know, unvaccinated individuals, there are going to be those people who get COVID, they don't have a whole lot of symptoms or no symptoms at all, and they transmit it to somebody else. And that's probably related to viral load. That just means the number of viral particles. But it's going to go way down if you're vaccinated. Uh, and in the majority of people, they're not going to transmit it to anybody else. That's the, one of the re- main reasons for getting vaccinated is to protect yourself against, um, you know, getting serious illness, but also to cut down on your transmission. And I think we got maybe one minute for, uh, for that second question follow-up. Okay. I, I don't think it's necessary. I think you answered it. My concern about 
having the vaccination was just, if I still had to wear the mask, what was the point? I didn't fully understand because transmission was the main issue. And so I think you answered that clearly. I think I asked it clearly. <laughs> yeah, you did. No, you're right. And in, in fully vaccinated people right now, it really depends on, on you know, where you are. If you were in an area that had a high uh, rate of COVID, I probably would wear a mask. I'm vaccinated and I would probably wear a mask in that area. But if it's, you know, if you're not seeing a lot of cases, it's fine to go about your daily life. And if you are happen to be in contact with somebody who has that, who has COVID, you know, 95% of people would be protected after getting that vaccination series. So yeah, if you're fully vaccinated, most of the time in all those situations, you don't have to wear a mask. But if I was going into an area where I knew there was an outbreak with some of the variants or low vaccination areas, I'd probably wear a mask if I was around other people. But uh, that's just, you know, to try to keep that in mind. But you don't have to wear a mask. You know, look, to, look at the CT, CDC guidelines if you've been fully vaccinated. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org radio or by using your favorite podcasting app.